1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to my favorite work of art with me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is human rights campaigner, writer and broadcaster Peter Tatchell. Born in Melbourne, Australia, Peter moved to London in 1971. He has been campaigning for human rights, democracy, LGBT freedom and global justice for over 50 years. The Sunday Telegraph described Peter as a civil rights campaigner we can all applaud and the Sunday Times has called him a national hero. He was a member of the human rights group Outrage, and through the Peter Tatchell Foundation, he campaigns for human rights in Britain and internationally. He is the author of over 3,000 published articles and six books, and is a regular face on our television screens. I'm delighted he's joining me today. Welcome, Peter.
1: Lovely to join you.
0: So tell me, what is your favourite work of art?
1: My favourite work of art is Pablo Picasso's Guernica. Okay. Painted... In 1937, in June, just two months after the Nazis bombed the northern Spanish Basque town of Guernica. Um, It is not a beautiful painting. It's a painting about the horror and evil of war. But it has incredible power. And power beyond the subject of Guernica. Uh, It speaks about the horrors of mass bombardment throughout history. Um, including the American mass bombardment of Vietnam and Cambodia in the 1970s and the mass bombardment of Syrian towns and villages today by President Assad and President Putin. Um, This is a painting with a universal, timeless significance to warn us that we must do everything in our power to strive for peace and to avoid war, that war should only ever be a last resort as a matter of self-defence.
0: Absolutely. Um, For the benefit of our listeners who may not have seen it or may need reminding of it, could you describe the painting for us?
1: It's a vast oil on canvas uh, in monochrome, black, white and grey, to symbolise life being extinguished by mass bombardment and extermination. If we look at the painting, there are many different interpretations, but uh, in the upper left corner is a bull, which is, of course, very symbolic for Spain. Mm. Uh, um, uh, the Basque town where um, the bombing took place uh, was famous for bullfighting, and um, the, the bull's symbol in, in Spanish history and culture is very strong. Um, the bull has a flaming tail. Uh, Its ears are like spears or swords jutting out of its head. Um, It has an anguished look upon its face, the face of pain and suffering. Below that is a picture of a woman in agony holding her dead baby. Um, Over to the right, in the top, is what sort of looks like an evil eye, Uh, But I guess some people would say it it, it sort of symbolises, I don't know, perhaps the light bulb in a torturous chamber because Mm -hmm. this this whole scene takes place in a boxed room. Uh, Below that is a horse, another symbol of um, very strong and symbolic in in Spanish culture and art. Um, The horse seems to have a spear coming out of its mouth. It seems to be gored um, in its body. Again, it's got this writhing, agonising grimace on the horse's face. Below that lies what appears to be a dismembered soldier or perhaps civilian, but whoever, they have a sword in their hand which is broken, but beside the sword there is a small flower, which I suppose symbolises perhaps hope and renewal. Um, On one of the hands of that body is what looks like a stigmata, reference, referencing the stigmata of Christ. Mm. Um, then further across the painting, um, we see a, a woman holding out a lamp outstretched, which I suppose you could s- see as a symbol of light being shone on the horrors to expose it, and perhaps also the, the flame of freedom of hope. Um... The woman's body is contorted. Um, Again, there appears to be stigmata on the hands and the feet. Then on the far right of the picture is a figure screaming with hands outstretched, perhaps symbolising both agony but also protest and resistance, and reaching up to what appears to be a window, which I suppose is the outside world beyond this scene of horror and the place of escape. So there's a lot in that painting, and um, it is just a scene of utter horror, mm. and it, it evokes in such powerful ways the horror of that Nazi bombing of the town of Guernica in 1937.
0: Because Guernica, the, the town, was mostly full of, of, of women and children, and it was that uh, Picasso read a, a newspaper report about it, because he was in Paris at the time, I think, and he read this newspaper report about the horrors of what had happened in Guernica and was asked by uh, the government in Spain at the time to create an artwork for their international uh, expo, and this is what he created. Um, I mean, this painting has huge resonance, doesn't it, through through history? I mean, this isn't Guernica wasn't a one-off, was it?
1: Absolutely not, and uh, I think that's why this painting has such a universal message to all of us in all cultures all throughout history that war is not glorious, it's horrific. People and animals suffer, women, children, not just combatants. And in this painting we see um, a picture of war that is, you know, I suppose dystopian, Um, in many ways it looks... Hopeless and despairing. But I guess the idea is to try and evoke the horrors of war in order to expose what was done in Guernica and to encourage people to, you know, never accept that war is inevitable or desirable, that That we must fight to resist it. And as I mentioned, you know, these scenes of horror have been played out so many times, you know, since Guernica... Um, in the conflict in the former Yugoslavia in the 1990s, in Sudan and Darfur, in the early part of the 21st century, and, of course, very horrifically today, in Syria. You know, this painting could be a representation of what is happening in Syria right now mm. as bombs rain down on innocent civilians and those who love and believe in democracy and human rights who marched in 2011 and march every single Friday in the liberated areas, this is their experience. This is what has happened similarly to the people of Homs, Idlib, Aleppo and many other towns and cities.
0: Do you remember the first time you saw it?
1: I do. Um, I was probably about 18 or 19. And um, I'd been reading about the Spanish Civil War and its lead-up to the Second World War, because this was, after all, what the Nazis did in Guernica was a test run for the Blitzkrieg they later used all across Europe. Mm. Um, And I remember when I first saw it, uh, it was in black and white, and I thought, oh, (laughs) where's the colour? But then I learned, of course, it is a monochrome painting precisely to symbolise the absence of life. You know, in life and reality, um, there is colour. Mm. Uh, Picasso used this monochrome palette I- in order to show that war extinguishes life, that this is a scene which is anti-life, that these horrors are the negation of life itself.
0: Mm. That, I, do, I mean, it might be an apocryphal story. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, it was during the Second World War and a... Uh, Nazi soldier went to his studio, and he saw the painting in there, and he said, "Did you do? Did you do that?" And Picasso said, "No, you did." <laughs> Which yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think it really shows the power of of painting, and the and it, it's la- it's lasted the, the you know the test of time. I mean, it's still displayed in, uh, in banners, and people have the posters of it when they go on marches. It's a, still now, all these years later, is a very strong anti-war uh, image. Um, It's a hugely powerful painting, and I think that shows the power uh, and the possibilities of art. Has art, apart from this painting, has art been important in your life?
1: Well, of course, when I left school, uh, my first job was in art and design. Um, I had to leave school at 16 because my parents couldn't afford to keep me on. They needed me to go out and earn money. So I wasn't able to go to art college or university but I ended up working in a department store in the design department, uh, doing uh, designing windows, interiors, logos, and so on. So art was my great early passion. Um, I can't say that um, Picasso particularly inspired me, but I, I was very much influenced by surrealism. Um, so in a lot of the windows and interiors I designed for a big, prominent department store in Melbourne, Maya, um, they had quite sort of... Um, very unorthodox themes. I remember I was called before the um, senior managers who protested over some of my windows saying that the surrealism of them was was um, upsetting um, shoppers and customers walking by, <laughs> to which I said, well... So provocative it, it, even it, then, it's, Peter. <laughs> it's made them stop and think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, we had a bit of a conversation in the end. They said, OK, keep it, you know, <laughs> but just <laughs> don't do it every time. <laughs>
0: So have you used art through your career? I mean, the idea of direct action, the idea of trying to uh, get your message out there and and protest. I mean, how have you used art? How have you used it in your life?
1: Well, in organisations I've been involved in, like the Gay Liberation Front in the early 1970s, Outrage in the 1990s, and many other campaigns, I've always seen the visual arts as being a very important way of um, evoking a message, Um, reaching a wider audience than a simple political slogan. So a lot of the campaigns that I've been involved in use graphic art and graphic design as a way of communicating a message. Um, Outrage, the LGBT direct action group in the 1990s, was um, pretty famous for producing very stunning posters, leaflets, uh, stickers and flyposts, which sought to use art and graphic design as a way to get a message across uh, using arresting images using um, very innovative topographies and so on to give you some examples um, the mass queer wedding which we organized in trafalgar square in 1991 um, involved us producing wedding invitations These were based upon traditional wedding invitations, but with lots of quirky, innovative, stylistic inventions of our own. Um, It certainly grabbed people's attention and led to over 200 couples turning up for that mass wedding. Another example was the campaign against the ban on LGBT people in the armed forces, where we used the um, Lord Kitchener World War I poster, but revamped it in a modern style to say that the Queer Army of Liberation Needs you.
0: Would you say you are creative then?
1: Creativity has always been central to my life. I like to create things, to invent things, to cross boundaries, to innovate. Now, initially, when I left school, I was doing art and design, that was my form of creativity. Uh, since then, I've transitioned to do human rights campaigning. But I see that as another form of creativity, only I'm not working with a painter's canvas and oils i'm working with society i'm seeking to transform society to remake society in a way that hopefully is better for me and for other people so for me political campaigning and human rights work is a creative process it's about changing society for the betterment of humanity
0: Can I turn to you now? What about you? Uh, What about when you were young, did you go to galleries?
1: I was a very curious child. I was very interested in history, culture, art. And so from a really early age, about six or seven, I was going to museums and art galleries. And I was fascinated to see paintings and sculptures from different eras from all parts of the world. For me, as a young boy... It was incredibly exciting to go to art galleries and see paintings from all over the world, from different eras and epochs. Um, This was not only an enlightenment for me in terms of the subjects of the paintings and in particular often the beauty of that art, but also it told a story about the, the painter, their own background and history, the context of the painting. These were all things that really fascinated me. So that really began my interest in art, in art and design.
0: Returning to Guernica, can you think of any other artists who've been inspired by Guernica?
1: I'm trying to think of modern artists who have perhaps followed in the footsteps of Pablo's Guernica. And I suppose the the name that comes to mind is Peter Kennard, the photo montage artist, who also used art To evoke the horrors of war, to show its futility, its evil, and suffering. Um, He is in many ways a successor of what Picasso began with Guernica.
0: Guernica continues to be a a very powerful work. Uh, Wasn't there some incident at the UN?
1: A full size tapestry of the Guernica painting hangs in the United Nations headquarters in New York at the entrance to the Security Council room. Um, It is said that in 2003, a large blue curtain was placed over this work, so it wouldn't be visible when the then US Secretary of State Colin Powell argued the case for war in Iraq. It was deemed that the horrific images would have been uh, counterproductive and would have undermined the very arguments that Colin Powell was making. And certainly um, that suggests that indeed this painting does have incredible emotional and political significance. If it had to be covered up, that shows the power that this painting truly has.
0: It's quite an unusual pick. What is it for you that makes it your favourite work of art?
1: In many ways, it is so strange, odd and perverse that I say that I love Picasso's Guernica because it is such a horrific painting. But its horror is not meant to subdue and suppress It's meant to arouse our emotions to stand in solidarity with the victims of war and to do everything we can to ensure that such horrors are never repeated again.
0: That's a very powerful place to leave it. Thanks for coming in, Peter. Today we were talking about Guernica by Spanish artist Pablo Picasso. Guernica was painted in 1937 during the Spanish Civil War in response to the bombing of Guernica, a small Basque village in northern Spain. The large monochromatic mural measures 11 foot 5 inches by 25 foot 6 inches and is considered to be one of the most powerful and moving anti-war paintings ever created. Guernica was originally exhibited at the 1937 Paris International Exposition before travelling around Europe and America In 1939, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, MoMA, mounted a Picasso exhibition including Guernica. Due to the outbreak of war in Europe, Picasso entrusted the work to MoMA, stating that the work should not be returned to Spain until liberty and democracy had been established in the country. MoMA was reluctant to give up its masterpiece, though, and it wasn't until 1992 that the mural was finally returned to Spain. Since then, it has been on permanent display at the Prado Museum in Madrid, and is now considered too fragile to move. If you would like to see the artwork we're discussing this week, or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag my favourite work of art. The show was recorded at Wise Butter in London. The title music is blue from colours by Dimitri Scarlato. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye. <laughs>